Welcome back to another episode of This Is Your Show, a podcast for people who just need a place to vent about their issues or chat with somebody, for people who are experiencing hardship or success, a place where people can feel safe to come and celebrate their winnings, as well as ask for help while they feel they are not winning so much. I've been both high and I've been low, but what got me through both of those experiences was the people that love me and support me. If you feel like you don't have that in your life, I'm extending an invite to be your friend or just somebody to listen. Let's get started. James Walsh and I have a song in the works called Clouds in the Sky. He is yet another member of the six-figure songwriting course I just graduated from. He wrote the lyrics about a trip he took to the Mexican border along the coast. Someplace I have always wanted to visit and will visit one day. The lyrics take you on a trip through winding roads and canyons and it feels like you're really there. He sent them my way and left them in my hands to come up with a song arrangement. One of my youngest nieces absolutely loves it and asks me to play it for her every time I have my guitar with me. James has a story I can only hope to be able to compare my own story to one day. He has worked with some of the coolest musicians of the past few decades and he and his wife Carrie have a band called Bristol Kids. I have put the links in the description of this episode for their website, SoundCloud, Facebook and Twitter pages. Please enjoy my connection with James. I certainly did. Hi, James. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. How are you, Tyler? I'm doing quite well, actually. It's a beautiful day here in Alberta, Canada. Yes, the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's us, man. Yeah. And where are you at right now? Are you in Lady Lake? Is that uh, no, one? no, I'm in uh, Music City. I'm in the Nashville area, north of Nashville. Oh. In the the burbs, as we like to call it, you know. Beautiful. And what's the temperature there today? Oh, it's pretty hot. It's about 89 degrees Fahrenheit, which is around 30 or 32 Celsius, I believe. Yeah, it's about there. We're sitting at 64 today Fahrenheit, so about 18 Celsius. A little (laughs) overcast and some wind. It rained all night, so. Oh, well, it's wonderful that you're... uh, getting some water we had some rain too of course Mm -hmm. you know the garden's looking really green as a result you know that's good so is mine (laughs) (laughs) so uh what did you want to talk about today what are you working on currently what are what are your passions what kind of things occupy your days you know i just was working on a new song idea and um i pretty much well i've been lucky sometimes it takes writing the lyrics first and then i'll sit down and create a chord progression on the guitar and then grab the phone and record it into the phone before i forget you know yeah i've been there (laughs) yeah well a million things are coming at me on the internet anyway so I have to do that. And then I'll create a hook or something if I have an idea for that. Or sometimes I want to do, um, I recently just got some Nashville strings for Nashville tuning on the Washburn. And I like the sound of that. It's really almost sounds like a mandolin to my ears. So that's what I've been doing. I've been getting into that, just exploring new things, you know, learning Mm -hmm. about uh, mixing, mastering and stuff. And lots of videos like what i'm doing too yeah lots of instructional videos i appreciate every link that you post on my page because i i do fill my my mornings with that kind of stuff too like as soon as i get up i have my coffee and as i'm waking up i i catch up on a lot of uh videos that i've saved myself or things that you're now posting and tagging me in so i definitely appreciate it because knowledge is power 
I agree with that. You know, mm -hmm. um, I was chatting with a friend of mine one time. This was back in L.A. before 9-11 hit. And he was a great guitar player from Scotland. And his dad was, uh, his name was Stephen. His dad was a U.S. Navy admiral. His mom was a Scottish nurse. And so he grew up in Scotland. And because he was isolated, like we are now, there was mm -hmm. the only thing he could do was play guitar all day. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So he became really, really good by the time he was 22. And, wow. you know, he could play anything. And I used to room with him in the student hotel on Melrose. And, you know, we would gig together sometimes. And we had a little band going and stuff. And the whole summer was a lot of fun. There were students mm. coming in from all over the world, of course. And, um, I was called the Orbitz Hotel. To get in there, you had to have a passport. You know, you couldn't get in unless you had your proper ID and stuff. But occasionally, there would be a party, and we would play the party in the courtyard and play, you know, top 40 or whatever songs they wanted to hear. And mm -hmm. we loved it. I mean, there was pretty girls running around from all over the world, you know, and they all wanted to see Hollywood, Disneyland and stuff, you know. But yeah. we would have fun. And uh, the guy who owned the place is, used to be a famous musician and he quit music and opened up the student hotel. But he liked it. So, you know, he would give us free beer and food. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a great way to spend the summer because you would maybe work two hours in a survival job, like a Starbucks or something. And <laughs> then the rest of the time you were playing guitar, you know. Yeah, well, that sounds just like the dream, right? You disappear to Hollywood, and that's what everyone expects to do. <laughs> well, not everyone expects to do that. Some people are doing different endeavors that have nothing to do with music, you know. I Some of them are just wanted to be actors. I had friends who were from <clears throat> Vancouver that were, you know, in their early 20s, and they wanted to both be in the film business. Mm -hmm. And they were hilariously funny guys, you know, they were always making us laugh. So yeah. we had a, you know, we had a wonderful time. And, you know, the only reason I bring that up is because when you go to California, it's easy to get pulled in a lot of different directions. It's decentralized. It's not like New York or Toronto or Calgary where it's centralized and you can stay focused. California has a million different opportunities, so many, maybe too many. So, yeah. you know, my advice is go, only go there if you're going to go to school or you, you have work lined up. Because mm. I saw musicians that were in class with me at MI, you know, and like three, four years later, you see them and they're like doing some porn video. And they're like, yeah, that's not what you went to California for, you know, <laughs> yeah. what's going on here? It's like you're, you're supposed to be a musician, you know. Yeah, but, um, no kidding. Times got tough. <laughs> well, times did become tough. Um, thank God for Apple Computer because they employed a lot of people in the Bay Area and they um, they do care about people. So, you know. That's fantastic. And yeah. actually, it's funny you bring that up because 10 years ago, I went to Los Angeles. It was my first time to LA and uh, I was there for, I think it was a whole week, but I competed in the world championships of performing arts and I went on Team Canada and got to meet a whole bunch of people from all over the world. And it was a fun experience, man. But like, like I had mentioned earlier, I guess being a youngster and not really having much direction, 
just seeing, oh, Hollywood's where you got to go, right? And so I went down there and knew it was only going to be for seven days and figured that's all I needed, <laughs> right? When that seven days, I was going to meet somebody and that was going to be it. And the next thing you know, we were all living the high life, right? But I'm, I was a single father. And after a week, I had to go home and be dad. Right. So <laughs> I, I made a made a whole bunch of networking opportunities and I did meet a whole bunch of really good people that I've remained in contact with and been friends with ever since. But I haven't seen them in 10 years. Right. But uh, they're all doing their thing. And I don't regret it for a minute because I did get to meet some people who have continued on in their lives and they've progressed and they've they've grown in their own right. So now that I'm part of this six figure songwriting course, and I've got new people in this cohort that like, such as yourself, I feel like you, you're like a great mentor because the things that you provide me with, they just help me become a better everything as far as where my music career stands. And I never really had anybody in my life to really do that, to say, hey, I hear this in you, maybe try this and it'll help you along the way. I think I was just led to believe that I was great. I was phenomenal. You got gold medals and silver medals and you're going to do awesome in this industry. But then nothing happened. And part of it was because I didn't continue to grow on my own. I was just under this impression, you know, like the whole American Idol dream. Someone's going to just pick you up and take you and it's all going to be done for you. Right. And here I am 36 years old and learning from the ground up exactly how this industry works the way I should have years ago. Well, here's the thing. We used to have a joke in, I call it the good old days, back in 2000. Mm -hmm. We used to have a joke that there was like two kinds of musicians in Los Angeles. The ones that were stars that had already made it and had a guaranteed income. And the ones that were working on their craft and attempting to break into the industry and establish themselves and get a foothold in the town. And this friend of mine from, who was a great painter and a guitar player said to me, there's a third kind of musician. And I said, what's that? And he said, there's the guy that goes and does the session work in the studios and gets paid like an employee. He comes in, he sets up in an instant, he plays something that is brilliant in the first take. And he's a total professional or she is a total professional. And they get paid work for hire. They don't get points or a royalty or any of that, but they're making an incredible living and they're buying up real estate and they're happy. They've got their kids' college tuition already in the bank. Yeah. And I said, yeah, but the problem with that is, is that that's a very small group. You cannot break into that without being recommended. And even if you're great, you may never have that door open for you unless you know the people on the inside. And that turned out to be true. And the real musicians, the ones that stick with it, were in 11 different bands. <laughs> in Los Angeles, like you were in 11 different groups, like, you know, you had 11 different gigs, sometimes two or three a day, you know, with different groups you were in, hoping one was going to catch fire and get a recording contract, right? Just planting seeds all over the place. Yeah, I mean, they're just like, they want to play and they don't want to work a survival job. And we're talking about people here that have an incredible amount of dedication and talent. Mm -hmm. And none of them made it. 
as stars. They didn't become like, you know, the dream of the Hollywood star or the Hollywood career going all the way to the top. You know, you're number one right. on billboard and you're mm-hmm. charting all over the world and you've got, you know, you're like Lady Gaga or somebody who's making $40 million on a tour. Yeah. But like I, what I found out was it was a Canadian guy, Arthur Vogel, who had concert productions international in Toronto in the 80s and the 70s. And that became Live Nation. And he wow. was the one who handled things in such a way that he guaranteed that these artists that he believed in would make a really good income from their tour. And I remember Lady Gaga had said that she made $3 million off this one single, sold it like 11 million downloads of this one song. Mm-hmm. And her father in New York said, okay, you finally got some money. Make sure you invest it wisely. You know, don't do anything dumb. And she put it all back into her exactly. stage show, right? That's right. I read that. That was yeah. just a phenomenal <laughs> story. Like, what a brilliant idea. Like, re- invest right back into yourself. Why wouldn't you? Well, her father thought she had lost her mind. You're off your head, you know, kind of thing. And like she said, no, I had to do something to get Arthur Vogel to pay attention to me. You know, it's like, okay, all right. So she took a huge gamble, but it paid off because he said to her, don't you worry about anything. You handle the state show. I'll handle the money. And it turned out at the end of the tour, he cut her a check for 40 million. Okay, so now the internal revenue, which is like Revenue Canada, is going to take their percentage, but still she's better off than she was. But Absolutely. The, what, the one thing I wanted to emphasize is that for every person like that, there's like 100,000 other people that are never going to see that happen. It's just not in the cards for them. They didn't work hard enough or they had disaster strike, you know, some catastrophe. Like I had a a really wonderful musician friend from school who did really well right out the gate and was having success and getting rave reviews in the clubs and everything, but then was in a car accident and that like destroyed their career because they had to spend two years going through a rehab program to be able to walk again. So sometimes life will throw you a curveball like that and you have to be really mentally prepared. You have to be strong and you have to have this mindset that says it's okay because while I'm in the hospital, I will play guitar or I will sing into my iPhone. I will Mm -hmm. still continue to create and it takes guts, you know, to stick with it. The people that do make it in the music industry or in, you know, as actors or TV actors, which are also actors, right? Mm -hmm. Are the ones that persevere. You have to do that. You have to just keep going forward, even when it looks hopeless. Yeah, that's such a powerful message because I've experienced that myself. I, I was in a van for four or five years and we were doing pretty good in the local area that we were playing in and it had opened up for quite a few bigger name bands in Canada and we were making a name for ourselves, and it felt really great. I made my trip to Los Angeles and came back with my new networking opportunities. And lo and behold, I tripped over a pillow in my room and exploded a disc in my low back and was paralyzed in my right leg from July 4th, 2013 until that coming October 
I had surgery and then had to go through rehab programs. So the band obviously had to come to a grinding halt and we, you know, we made our separate ways, but I, I took everything so hard and so personal when that happened. Cause it was a week after I turned 29 when this, when I fell in my room and I was on really hard medications and was not using them properly and fell into a huge depression. And I just, I pushed everybody away, I feel. And I don't know if my former band members even know this, but I said some things just out of depression and desperation, I think, and obviously hurt some feelings. And so I didn't talk to them after that. And it was now a solo show for me going forward. And so I kind of carried that depression on my shoulders throughout that whole journey of me trying to make it as my own again, That's which is where I started was a solo artist and then made so much headway with a band. And it, it took a while. And now that I'm 36, like just here in February, we joined this cohort and something inside of me just came back to life, it felt like, because all of a sudden things were lining up for me and things were making more sense to me. And I was you know, I started learning how to use Ableton and I'm now recording my own stuff. Whereas before I would have paid somebody to do that and just hope to God it worked out. It's just nuts how full circle life can be sometimes, you know? Well, like that friend of mine who was the guitar player was a wonderful guy and he had a great sense of humor and he used to do funny bits for us, you know, like he did his impression of Sean Connery for us, you know? Yeah. I had to make him stop because my sides hurt so much from laughing. <laughs> so I, to me, humor, laughter is the antidote to all that negativity and depression. If you mm -hmm. keep your sense of humor throughout the day, just remember to cut yourself a break and stay happy-go-lucky, you know, and ha have true? see the good in people, even if there isn't, always a glimmer of hope you can find it eventually you know i know this much i mean like my friend went down the wrong path hung out with a girl in a metal band she got him addicted to meth he ended up in a two-year rehab program you know and sadly his guitar playing was never as good ever again yeah you know but i convinced him to play on some demos we were doing when we were in Camarillo, California, north of um, the valley. And that's kind of like on the way, if you're going up the freeway, you're like you're going up like the coast highway or the 405 to the five freeway, you're gonna be heading towards Santa Barbara or something. So what I think is the most important thing that musicians need to understand is that if you want to do music full time and you want to just write and record and everything, learn everything you can about every aspect of the industry. Be like a sponge from the time you discover you love music. Learn everything you can so that you can know what to do in any situation. Because the industry keeps changing. It's constantly growing and evolving. And opportunities are there. But just know that if you're sitting in front of a casting director or a music producer, they're looking at you trying to figure out, how am I going to make money off of this person so I can pay my kid's Montessori school bill? And if they can figure that out looking at you, you will land the job, whatever it is, you know? Like you yeah. will get that acting job. You will be cast in that pilot for a new TV series. 
but mm -hmm. the people that dedicate themselves 110% to whatever it is they're doing, whether it be acting or singing or dancing or plays, you know, at the Pasadena Playhouse or Orange mm -hmm. County Playhouse, they're involved in that 110%. They're giving it everything they got seven days a week. And that's why they land the job because they're so good that they can't say no to them. No kidding. And they're versatile, I guess. You could just almost do anything they ask of you, if that's the case, right? Well, yeah, and don't be a pain in the neck, you know? I mean, <laughs> I had one actor, we were, we were at Burbank Studios, which is Warner Brothers, and it's a gigantic place. It's as mm -hmm. big as, the, Burbank Studios is as big as a city, yes. you know? And we were like on the, working on this one film this is like when I first arrived in LA and like the, what happened to me, at, I was at school at MI and this friend who was in class with me, his dad was a famous film producer and I didn't know. And he banged on my apartment door and insisted I go down to the Roosevelt Hotel to be in this film his dad was doing. I was like, no, go away. I'm, I'm doing this painting. It's a commission and I'm going to like have, you know, a pile of cash, I'll be able to make rent for six months, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, no, you got to get out here. You're spending too much time in the apartment. You might like it. So I went and I ended up sitting at a table with Bruce Willis. I didn't know this was going to happen. Right. Oh, wow. And I'm doing my homework <laughs> and he didn't bother me. He just let me finish my homework. And I was like this. Okay. I think I can pass the test tomorrow. I think I can relax now. And I closed the book. I looked up and he went, how are you doing? No. <laughs> yes. Oh. And I, they had given me a, you know, like it was a reenactment of the Oscars from 1932. It took place in the exact same room because they had rebuilt the hotel, right? Refurbished it. So they okay. were reenacting the original first Oscars in the room where it originally took place. And, you know, Malcolm Modell was on stage talking and like they had these lookalikes for Laurel and Hardy entertaining people. And there was like white linen cloth and silverware that was like real genuine silverware, you know, and they were feeding us from the hotel. And I was, you know, and paying me to be in this scene. And I was just, you know, amazed. They were like, OK, we're going to give you a haircut. And I was like, great, free haircut. And then yeah. they put me in a tuxedo from 1932 from the wardrobe, you know, for the studio. And he said to me at the end of the day, he said, so how'd you like it? And I said, it's great. I, we're going back again tomorrow for more. And he, he said, they fed you too, didn't they? And I said, yeah, we had steak and lobster. I couldn't believe it. Wow. You know, and I said, I said to him, is it like this every week at your house? Like, cause your dad's in the film biz. And he goes, yeah, it is. You know, <laughs> and like, he, wow. I, I said to him, you're in class with me every day, but how did you know where I live? Like, how did you find out where I live? And he said, well, I asked a friend of a friend who was like in the same building as you to tell me what apartment you were in. So he was actually seeking me out to be in the film. Now, what are the chances of that? And like in the Hollywood, hills i could walk about a mile and a quarter to get to school and the hotel was closer than that i only had to walk two blocks and i was there you know like he he was banging on the door insisting i open it and i'm swearing at him telling him to go away you know 
but he wouldn't take no for an answer. So the truth is in Hollywood, you can have a lot of fun. As long as you don't get pulled in too many different directions, you'll be okay. But you never know what's going to happen because things are happening all the time, just like in New York. New York never sleeps, right? People are right. working around the clock. Well, the internet has made it so that we have access to people all over the world now. Mm -hmm. So even with, um, you know, the lockdown with COVID and all this, we still can create, we still can come up with something and who knows what might happen, what good might come of it. You have to understand that when I was in school, those doors were not open. You couldn't, if you wanted to go work at Disney Animation Studio, you could not get in. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to work at Hanna-Barbera or WB, you couldn't get in unless you were recommended. But then this thing that happened around 1998 was all these animators and all these actors were now becoming icons and they were going to retire in a few years. So now they all of a sudden, they were in a panic because they needed new blood. They needed new talent and they couldn't get them in there quick enough. They had to create a school. They had to create a way for the students to be in a place where they could learn and not have the whole world trying to crush them in the process. I mean, you know what it's like in L.A. It's a big place. There's a lot going on. Absolutely. And the bottom, yeah, and the bottom line is, is that if you are somebody that's nice to be around, that's pleasant, they will keep calling you back again and again and again. That's what they did with me. I was never a pain in the neck. I never caused trouble. So they were like, we like having you around. Can you come back tomorrow? You know, yeah, you're like, easy to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I had this one actor friend who was a complete crazy nut. And he made a pest of himself with the producer and the director. And like he said to me, they remembered me. And I said, yeah, they remembered you as the person they never want to see again. Exactly. You know, <laughs> right. you know yeah. be nice, but be professional. You know, don't do things you shouldn't do. Right. Treat people how you would like to be treated and pay attention to what's going on around you. Learn as much as you can because mm -hmm. it will serve you later. Half of the stuff that I learned by being on location or being on the set, I was years later teaching to students, you know, because I teach through TakeLessons.com. I was mm -hmm. teaching acting students stuff that you cannot get from a book. You can only get it by being there in the location, like out in Pico Canyon. We were filming a low-budget film, and we had to dress in shorts and T-shirts, and we were freezing our butts off because it was winter <laughs> and they're like no it's warm it's you know this is september and it's like labor day weekend it's hot out and i'm like dude i've got goosebumps and it's like getting cold it's nighttime and we kept shooting and it was like 5 a.m when we finished you know and they, they were like can you come back later tonight and i'm like yes i'll be there but it's like somebody said to me this is the place where they used to film the 4077 MASH unit. That's like just a mile or two from where we are. And this director said a mile or two up that way was where they filmed Twilight Zone in the canyon and that helicopter crash took place. Oh, wow. So Canadians have a wonderful way about them. Okay. 
they tend to do really well. They can blend in fairly easily, right? And like sometimes I can hear the accent, but most of them can blend in. You get so you 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 just are used to the culture, and it's a lot of fun for me because I hear so many different accents. You know, I just mm-hmm. get a kick out of it. You know, I I'm on the beach in Malibu, and these kids are chatting. They're surfers, so they're 15 and 16. <laughs> And I hear one of them go, like, you know, dude, that was tubular. Yeah. You know? And I was like, oh, my God, this accent's real. I thought it was a put-on in the movies, you know. Yeah, this isn't yeah. just Ninja Turtles or Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, you know, whoever. It could be, like, you know, uh, Jess Spicoli in Fast <laughs> Times at Ridgemont High, the classic yeah. movie. So, you know, because so many people come in from all over the world, Hollywood is famous you can have a lot of fun and you can learn a lot. It's like, you don't even have to travel the world. The world comes to Hollywood and some great things are like great films are being made. Their great music is being made there. It's okay. But just remember, go there with a purpose. Like you're going to go to school. You're going to film school, like UCLA film school or something like that. Don't just wander in and because it's too easy to end up, you know, doing stuff you shouldn't be doing. The Hollywood party scene, be careful of it because you can wash your career down the drain with alcohol. Yeah, well, you know, I, I feel like, um, I guess I'm blessed in a way that 10 years ago, things didn't turn out the way that I anticipated. I mean, regardless of the fact, I still came back from my trip and ended up becoming a drug addict anyway. But I'm just, you know, if I had a... Yeah, but that's different because with you, it was a back injury. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that are partying. You oh, know, the, I mean, I did cocaine and stuff too. So, I mean, I was, I was into the party scene while I was in the band. And I think a lot of the decisions I made while I, before I even broke my back, a lot of the decisions that I made were based off of thinking I was all that and I was living that party lifestyle, you know, and I. Drugs yes, they, trick you into thinking you're more than you are. Yes. That, you you, you know, start to yeah. forget you're human. Oh, look, I'll just put it very simply. If you understand one simple thing, you will be okay and you'll make the right choice, which is when you drink, the damage is accumulative. And we've seen proof of this, right? Where like somebody who's in their 40s now or their 50s and it's like they're 80 because there's so much damage to the nerve system, they get early onset of dementia or they get early onset of ALS or some other problems like MS. So if they have a predisposition to it, it's in the genetic pool, it's gonna come in earlier because they did so much damage when they were young. That damage doesn't go away, folks. Before we continue, let's take a moment to thank my sponsor. Wait a minute, I don't have any yet. It's tricky to get this sponsor thing sorted out between the US and Canada. I started to wonder, how can I be my own sponsor? What can I do for you? I'm a lover of customer service. How can I make this a win-win? What might you need that I have? Maybe you're feeling lost or disconnected from the people in life that matter to you. Maybe you're missing the celebrations of everything life or even death. Maybe I could help you bridge that gap. A song designed to say exactly what you want to say in the way you want to say it? A song just for that person or occasion? Especially now, since the ways in which we connect with each other has been turned upside down, a song could really bridge that gap. What if you could reach the people you love and say, I love you, I'm proud of you, 
Congratulations and yay, happy birthday, happy anniversary, wedding, baby on the way. Man, I would love to help you with that. My heart, my voice, my musical skill, my love of customer service, my love of people makes us the perfect fit to make this happen. You tell me who, what, and why with a brief interview and off we go. You get a custom song to tell that special person how much they mean to you. Imagine the smile when they hear their song. Imagine the warm feeling you'll have knowing you brighten someone's day. You win because you get to do something special for someone you love. They win because they get to know how much you love and care for them. I win because I get to do something I really love, that I'm good at, and be my own sponsor for this podcast. Together, we can roll right into this new reality with compassion, care, and fun. Please reach me at thisisyourshowpodcast at gmail.com, on Instagram at thisisyourshowpodcast, or on Facebook at thisisyourshow. Can we touch based on your band? Oh, okay. Well, just, I mean, maybe there's people in Canada that don't know this, but um, in my travels in California, going to school and stuff, uh, after I graduated, I went and lived in Marin County, and I was lucky enough to get a grant and a student loan to go to music school. And that's how I met my wife, who was from upstate New York. And she was so sweet and gentle and everything. I thought she was Canadian, you know. Thought, oh, she's from the Great Lakes like me. It turns out she was from Syracuse. But I was studying to be an animator, designer. I was going to class for a couple of years, you know, while I was doing my regular work. And I was going to work at either Disney products or Disney animation and be a character model designer. I was taking classes for this from some of the best artists at Disney and best, in fact, in the world. And she came in to the apartment where I was staying, you know, which was at the beach when it was like a beautiful place, but only 12 units. And she was renting upstairs. And that's how I met her. I mean, I was working in the garden. I was apartment managing. And, you know, I only had to do that two hours a day. And then I was free to do my studies and practice guitar or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she heard me playing guitar and told me that I was going to play guitar for her. I wasn't going to necessarily be working at Disney. Wow. <laughs> you know, and like it just sort of grew organically and naturally. And uh, we spent every day together. And maybe about 500 feet from where Ray Mazanarik and Jim Morrison started The Doors is where we oh. started Bristol Kids. And I came up with the name Bristol Kids because I had friends in Bristol, England. And I knew that there was a Bristol in Pennsylvania and one in Tennessee. And um, people seemed to like the name. Every other name that I had come up with for a band, people were like, no, I don't like that. Bristol Kids, they accepted it. They liked it. So we went with that. And, you know, we never thought we would ever get to record or anything. But um, back in the day in the 90s, when I, I worked for a world famous musician, this one fellow who, who was named Tony Brock, who was in The Babies with John Waite, I had met him. And he gave me his card. He said, I'm a producer now. If you're ever going to record, contact me. I'll produce your first record. And that's what we ended up doing. We ended up going to Chatsworth, where he had a studio, and recording our original songs that we wrote together. And 
you know, it just kind of grew from there. But I had kind of given up on the idea of doing music because bands that I, I had been in, like back in 2000 and stuff, everybody fought over the songs. They fought over the girls. They fought over the money. They fought over who was going to drive the car or the, the van to the gig. <laughs> you name it. They couldn't agree on anything. And it was an international band. We could have been signed to a deal. You know, there was a guy from Seagram's of Canada that said, you know, Seagram's owned five record labels in Hollywood and he wanted to manage us. You know, he had seen us play in the courtyard. So I said, okay, well, when they're ready, I'll let you know. But then 9-11 hit and none of it ever happened. So wow. I went to the beach. I went back to the beach and I had this wonderful cushy job at the beach, you know, 10 steps from the sand. And I was going to classes, you know, in the valley and just having a, a, what I considered to be a pretty nice life. Well, she walked in and like eventually came, okay, like, let's do music together. So Bristol Kids became, it was sort of based on Carrie like Celine Dion. I kind of like Katy Perry. Mm -hmm. um, she likes all the music her dad liked that she heard in the car, you know, which was classic music mm -hmm. like Paul McCartney and Wings and stuff like that. So it sort of became, okay, though, these are our influences. Let's see if we can do something together that kind of combines all our influences, but still is original. And we were able to do that. And we just worked on stuff. And then when we went and auditioned for the producer, he said, well, you're not ready. And he sent us to school for two years to become better musicians. Carrie became a better singer. And then finally, when he said, okay, you're ready, then we went in and recorded. And, you know, I had a wonderful time. She had a wonderful time. I was like, well, this is the life for me. I want to be a video band. You know, I don't even want to tour. And she was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean you don't want to play gigs? I said, well, if I play gigs, that means I want to play live in the studio, too. You know, I want, I want us to, you know, do comedy bits and this and that. And she said, you can't do all that. You're crazy. You know, she says, enough just to write the songs and have them be good songs or hopefully great songs. But. We did do that first album and then nothing happened. I, I think we probably sold 10 copies. I said, well, forget that. You know, we're never going to be able to do this. But she said, no, 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 you don't understand. You have to go forward. You have to keep plugging away and don't be discouraged because eventually something will happen, which is a very British thing to say anyway, an Irish thing too. So she said, we just have to keep going forward. And I said, it's too difficult. I can't do a survival job where I'm painting murals and painting houses or, you know, work in security for, you know, some famous musician, you know, which is what I was doing back in the 90s and do this and take care of you and also make sure that whatever catastrophe hits I can somehow work around that. I said mm -hmm. to her, we have to go up to Canada. And she was like, what? <laughs> and I said, we're going to drive up the coast and we're going to see the coast and have fun and write songs along the way and take photos and have a good time. And then we'll, you know, we'll go to Victoria. Well, it was wonderful. The guy who met us at the immigration port in Victoria, when we came across on the ferry boat, he looked at her and he goes, oh, you're a Murphy. Well, my grandmother was a Murphy. You can come in. 
<laughs> so we lived in Victoria for like a year and I was painting with a friend of mine who had a construction business. I was painting houses near Royal Oaks on the gorge and stuff, having a wonderful time. And um, she just basically learned computers because she didn't know anything about computers. And I encouraged her to do that. And we wrote our first song in Victoria. Wow. And it was called Crazy on the Islands, which was like, well, if you're crazy on the islands, you take the ferry boat back to the mainland, back to Vancouver, Van City. Mm-hmm. And eventually we moved back to California and we continued to work on songs and stuff. And one thing leads to another. And like I called Tony up and uh, I had the music for the that first song on acoustic guitar. I was playing it on Carrie's Ibanez PF 500. She convinced me to play her guitar to break it in. And it just went from one thing leading to another. We got back to California. You know, we ended up renting a room in a house in Thousand Oaks and just kept writing songs and working those survival jobs. And over time, things just one thing led to another. We ended up moving to Mammoth, which is in the mountains of Northern California. Instead of spending like $3,000 on a house at the beach in Santa Monica, we went up to the mountains where it was like very inexpensive to stay and worked on the demos. And then we went back down to Los Angeles and we had emailed in the demos and the producer, had Tony, had listened to them. He said, right. It's my job to bring this in on budget. And I learned to play with a click like in three minutes. You usually get three weeks. Mm -hmm. And uh, I nailed it, he said. So it was good. And then he brought in, I convinced him to play drums. And he brought in a wonderful bass player, Lynn Wolver. And he brought in a mutual friend, uh, J.P. Cervoni to play some guitar as well. So I was playing six string and 12 string, handling a lot of the rhythm stuff. And Carrie did all the vocals and harmonies and everything. And then he brought in Christine Aguilera's piano player, who was also a musical director, and he added piano. And, you know, it just went like that. It was just a natural, organic thing. And we had to record very quickly, building it track by track. And I convinced him to mix and master it. And he had never mixed and mastered before. So he had to learn that. So we had to be very patient. That took about nine months for him to to learn that and get the work done in between recording all these famous musicians and stuff. So we released the album on CD Baby. And basically it got a lot of airplay and a lot of fans loved it and everything. But it didn't sell because everything's pirated. Once it's on YouTube, you can forget it. You're never going to make any money off of it. But we had the experience of learning what it's like to be in a professional studio. Once you have that, you learn so much from it. It's worth it. The experience, it makes it worth it. And I can remember pulling up in the Suburban and like getting out and bringing in the guitars and stuff and Carrie's bass and Tony looked at this one guy who was driving a Rolls Royce who was in the studio next to his and said, well, there goes uh, so-and-so famous TV star, you know, (laughs) in his roller. And I was like, wow, you know, and like, I'm thinking to myself, it's amazing. Like people who are in the industry, they are just going up and 
working in this little tiny studio and they're like multi-millionaires some of them but they're staying humble and what i what i discovered was with the the ones that were the most famous that were the most wealthy were usually the most humble so you learn everything you can from the experience of recording and in the past when i would write a song with somebody like we i was in a band called the posh slags back in 2000 with all those friends from around the world Mm-hmm. Well, like they would read my lyrics and go, I can't sing this. Are you nuts? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't sing about tectonic plates. Get out of here. I can't work with this, you know. And then Carrie comes in and she looks at my lyrics, you know, and my poetry and everything. And she goes, I know what to do with this. That was the difference. She could figure out how to make it work. She could figure out like, oh, I'll just move this sentence over here, that line there, that word there. And I think this is going to work. I can fit this all in and it's going to make sense. And we'll just take that verse and drop that out and we'll put this chorus here. And I was like, wow, I've got an arranger. (laughs) (laughs) She just, her instinct from growing up with music in upstate New York, listening to the radio after school you know, she said funny things to me. Like she goes, I had my own radio show after school, you know. And I said, you're kidding. She goes, no, I used to make up my own radio show. I said, was it broadcast? She goes, no, I just recorded it into a cassette. And I was like, really? This is like probably 1983 or something, yeah. maybe 85. Well, guess what? She goes like this. She goes, I made up my own songs too. And I was like, Really? She goes, yeah, cold pizza was a number one hit. (laughs) (laughs) And she would tell me stories about their family dog, who was called Harry Go Get Him, you know. So we made up a song about him, and we sang it to her dad over the phone, and he burst out laughing. It was like, Harry Go Get Him for president. You can bet that money's already spent. Hairball, hairball, hairball. Dogger, and he would just laugh, you know. <laughs> so, like, it's like that sense of humor still came into play, and that's what won me over, you know. And she's so gentle and sweet, it's like she was Canadian anyway. But <laughs> she had a choice. She told me she had a choice. She could either go to school in Southern California or in Ireland or go to Toronto to go to school. She chose to go to santa monica which is where i was that santa monica venice beach area is like home to a lot of actors and artists and musicians you know yeah yeah well like she was gonna study medicine and said to heck with that and instead wrote songs with me but i realized that what kicked it off was being in victoria in bc you know and it just kind of grew from there but we wrote songs about the wine country in california like the title track of the album wireless dreams i wrote a tribute song for my mates you know my friends in australia called alice springs i wrote a song about the miracle mile in la where all the museums and fancy shops are in beverly hills and stuff you know it goes from fairfax all the way over to, you know, Rodeo Drive and stuff. Just hitting the beach, songs about the beach and stuff. And people seem to like the songs. You know, they're really pop rock songs and a little bit of country. That's why I work with her is because everybody was like, I can't sing this. And she's (laughs) like, I know what to do with this. 
The big difference, right? You know, the first thing you think is, where have you been all my life? Because you know what it's like. People love to criticize what they don't understand. Wow. If there's one thing I can say about James, the man certainly adores his wife. Talk about relationship goals. How I would love to be able to create with my best friend and lean on them to compensate for my weaknesses with their strengths. It is such a beautiful concept that creates music all on its own. The sense of adventure accompanied by a passion for music and the creative process, James and Carrie have the recipe for a successful relationship. In all aspects of life, look for ways to offer your strengths as a mean to support one's weaknesses. It truly is a way for us to bring back support to the world we live in. Please be sure to check out their music in the links I have attached in the description. Thank you for tuning into This Is Your Show. I will talk to you soon.